there's this catchphrase, you know, that we hear all the time, like worship. You know, people kind of say it like that. Well, the worship, you know, and I go to this church because of the worship. And, and I think that what we've done is we've narrowed worship to singing. You know, we've, we've narrowed it to what songs are sung and what band played or what person led us in praise. And praise is worship, but it is only one aspect of worship. We worship because we're so filled with the Holy Spirit that we have to express it. When I used to teach Sunday school, there was a song that we used to sing. It's bubbling, it's bubbling, it's bubbling in my soul. Uh, some folks think I'm crazy. They think I've lost my mind. Bubbling, 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 bubbling all the time. But the idea is it's so in us. It's got to be expressed. It's got to come out. When the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea and got to the other side and realized that they had crossed this ocean on dry ground, and when the enemy tried to follow, they were swallowed up by the sea, they looked back, and you know what they did? They began to sing. Moses began just to sing out this song. You know, it, it's like, the, the rider is cast into the sea. And he just, he had to express it. And then his sister Miriam, she grabs a tam- tambourine and she says to the women, follow me. And she gets, begins to express it in song. But what they're doing is they are expressing that, that bubbling in their soul because of the glory of what they've just experienced, what they've just seen and felt and been through, and the victory that God has brought them through. Singing and making melody in our heart is definitely a type of worship, an expression of worship. But if there's not something else going on, then it's simply empty. It's just you know, saying song, uh, saying lyrics to a melody. That's all it is. And it goes no further. It does nothing else. There has to be something that's going on within us. Now, it's interesting because the NLT, the NIV, the ESV, the HCSB, and the NASB, which are all translations of the Bible, They translate Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, brethren, uh, therefore, by the mercies of God, I beseech you, brethren, that you would present your bodies as living sacrifices. And that phrase, which is your reasonable service, they translate it, and listen to this, NLT. This is truly the way to worship him, because that word service is actually the word worship in the Greek. NIV, this is your true and proper worship. ESV, which is your spiritual worship, HCSB, which is your spiritual worship, NASB, all these initials, NASB, spiritual service of worship. You see, worship is really about what we're doing with our lives, with our with our whole lives. I'll never forget coming all the way up from Vista to hear Elizabeth Elliott speak right here on a Friday morning. 
And I remembered that uh, the singer saying this, you know, I'll stand and worship you the whole night through. And I remember she had this look like, hmm. And then she got up and she said, really? Are you ready to stand up all night? How many of you have even stood up all night and just raised your hand and sung and worshiped God for who he is and what he's done? You know, and it's like, no, I've never done that all night. I I usually sleep at night. In fact, I'm one of those people that I go to sleep at nine o'clock at night. I I love, as soon as it's dark, I want to go to sleep. And as soon as it's light, I want to wake up. But, you know, to stand all night and worship him because it's more than just singing or raising our hands to the Lord. It's about what we're doing with our entire lives. And it starts, worship has, has this starting point. And the starting point is to give the Lord everything, everything, to an absolute surrender of everything. That song, I Surrender All. That gets me every time because I want to sing it like, I surrender all. But then I always think of like one thing. Actually, I don't. The Holy Spirit's like, did you surrender this? You're like, oh, that. It's usually in the area of submission somewhere too to Brian. It's like, oh, not that. Did you surrender everything? Because he wants everything. Hebrews tells us that our God is a consuming fire. He wants all all of us. Jesus talked about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And all means the entirety, every bit of us. And this is where worship begins. You see, worship means worthy ship. It's what we value most. You see, what you value you will worship. I remember having a friend and she told me that she used to be very into self-worship. She worshiped her body. She was at the gym, um, you know, six out of seven days of the week. She had every surgery and every shot and every procedure she possibly could. Uh, She adorned herself as, as expensively as she needed to. And she said, I was a self-worshipper. I valued myself more than anything else. And you know, people worship something. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You will worship whatever your heart is set upon. Worthy ship, that thing that you value most. In Romans 12, verses 1 through 7, Paul explains the ultimate essence of worship. It's these seven verses. And we're going to find from Romans 12, 8 on to all the way through chapter 16. He is going to tell us how our worship is expressed. But we begin with these seven verses of what our worship is. What the essence, what the base of our worship is, how we worship. This is what worship is. And then everything that follows, all our obedience, our acts of worship, or the outflow of worship because we put him first, because he is worthy. He is where we put our greatest value. You see, if God 
is our priority, if he is what we value most, then it's nothing for us to put our lives on the altar because we love him so much. It's, it's nothing to make those sacrifices. You know, I told you before, I absolutely love my sleep. I, I get like kind of like a, a bear about to hibernate in the cave at night. Something happens to me around a quarter to nine. Like, I need my sleep. You know, I just, I love it. And I'm one of those people, you might hate me for this, but the minute my head hits the pillow, I'm out. I'm done with the day. I'm ready for tomorrow. I just, I love sleep. And I've always just been very protective of my sleep until I had children. And not only do they take your sleep away, but when you hear that cry in the night, you're awakened and it's nothing for you to go and and take that child in your arms and feed that child or walk that child or do whatever that child needs. And why do you do it? Because of love. Love. It's worth that sacrifice. It's worth giving up that thing that you value, that thing that makes you intelligent and not stupid during the day. It's, it's worth giving up that sleep to minister to that little child. Our, our worship has five components, and it begins with this. Full surrender, transformed mind, humble spirit. Our worship is communal. That's a necessary component, and it is mutually edifying. Mutually edifying. Without these vital components, worship becomes pretense. It's all about what it sounds like, what it looks like. How do I look when I worship? I knew a woman who used to practice what gesture she would do in the mirror before she went to Sunday morning and and saying, like, I will do this. Can you imagine that? What is that? Is that for God? No, if it's for God, do it in the shower. You know, it, it's got to be, I don't know about you. I close my eyes because I don't, I don't want to think about you when I'm worshiping, you know, when I'm singing and expressing myself and I don't want you to think about me. I just want it just to be God and I. I want to praise him for who he is. But anyway, without this, worship becomes competitive. There is a judgment and criticism. Oh, they didn't do it right. That doesn't look right. There's a qualifying and disqualifying of what worship is. Worship becomes self-absorbed. It becomes about how I feel or how I am moved. It becomes about the sound. And it's empty and meaningless unless it has these five components. That's why Paul begins this third part, this last part of Romans. We're in our third trimester of Romans now. And he begins this third trimester by telling us these essential five components to worship. And it begins again with a full surrender. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your ultimate act of worship. 
I love in John chapter 12 how we see Mary coming into this assembly of disciples. Martha's in the kitchen. Are you surprised? Lazarus is sitting at the table. I love John chapter 12 because it mentions it as a side note. Lazarus, who had been dead, is eating with Jesus. It's like, are you, wait, who was dead? You know, like, oh yeah, you know, that guy, he's a guy Jesus raised from the dead. Oh yeah, that guy, Simon, he used to be a leper. Because it was so commonplace to have miracles surrounding you when you were with Jesus. And so there he is in chapter 12. And Mary takes this this box, this alabaster box of spikenard, and comes into the assembly, and she absolutely breaks the alabaster. There is no piecing it back together. There is no um, saving of any of that ointment. It is completely poured out, and the alabaster is broken. It will not be used to hold anything else completely sacrificed and given entirely to Jesus Christ. And that's how we are to be in our presentation, in laying ourselves on the altar completely, broken before the Lord. Lord, I am for you and for your services. I'm not taking my life back. It is absolutely for what you want. Interestingly, today, in leaders' meeting, just a second. <coughs> we were talking about, uh, Glinda was mentioning how she does this presentation almost every morning to Jesus of everything. And I loved it because I love to do that too. I like to wake up and say, all right, Lord, everything is yours. Today is your day. And I am yours. Because Satan has lied to me just like he's lied to you and said, you're not really in Christ. He wanted all those other people, but he didn't want you. Somehow you got snuck into Chuck Smith's dynasty. (laughs) You know, they, they weren't supposed to have a fourth child. Plus, you know, I had brothers that always told me I was adopted. And I would go to my mom, am I adopted? No, you're not. I had you. Which one of them told you that today? (laughs) And then, you know, one of my brothers would be like, they told you that, but they're lying to you. You're really not. And, you know, they're seven years older and nine years older than I am. And I'd be like, I am adopted. My dad would be like, honey, you got my brown eyes. You're my child. And I'd be like, I got daddy's brown eyes. And then his eyes, as he aged, turned green. I'm like, wait a second. How come I still have brown eyes? But that presentation... You know, if Satan's going to lie to you and say, you're not in Christ, you know what I do? Okay, then let me make sure I'm in Christ. And I start this head-to-toe presentation of myself to Jesus, putting myself on the altar. I present my mind to think his thoughts, to receive his thoughts. I present my eyes to read his word and to see his wonders. I present my heart to be cleansed by him, even as he cleansed the temple, and to receive his treasures, even as the temple held the treasures of God, from the Ark of the Covenant, to the candlesticks, to the altar of incense. So my heart to become his cleansed temple. I present my hands to touch 
to feel and to help in his service. I present my feet to walk in his paths, to go where he tells me to go. I present my mouth to share his truth and to sing his praise. I present my ears to hear his voice. I present myself from head to toe to his service. One of my favorite songs is the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. And I I love that. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my mouth, uh, take my lips and let them be. You know, I can't remember right now because all I can think of are the feet, swift and beautiful for thee, and that's not the lips. This is what happens when you don't put it in your notes and you have senior moments. But it's, a, it's about that presentation of everything to the Lord. Paul appeals to us to present our whole being to God for his service because, therefore, the therefore, because of all that he has told us about God, about God's love for us, about God's goodness, about God's great and amazing plans for us, about his amazing grace that he has already shown us through Christ Jesus, and because of all the gifts and benefits that we have in Christ. He says, because of all of this, this package that God is offering you, all that Christ has already won for you, your response, your reasonable response, your reasonable worship, is to present absolutely everything to God because he can't be trusted. He's already done this. He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How much more shall he give us all things through Christ Jesus? God is worthy to be trusted. I was talking to a friend and it was interesting because Brian and I, he was dropping me off today. And I was asking him what his text is for Sunday. And he told me the chapter and he said, wait, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. He said, that's exactly my text. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I get so excited. Like, oh. And it was interesting because I was just uh, ministering to some young girls just last week. And I was talking to this young girl because you know how when you're young, you're like, my plans are God's plans. My plans are God's plans. And you don't really trust the plans of God. You think you could write a better script for your life and for the life of others than God. And she was kind of at that place. And I said, I just want to say something to you. I want you to think about the universe. God designed the universe. Has anything broken down in the universe? Has anything? I mean, you think that the earth has been spinning for at least 10,000 years without a stop, without a like, oh, you know, something's wrong with the brakes. No, nothing has gone wrong. The earth has been orbiting the sun year after year after year without just stopping and saying, you know, I ran out of gas. It just keeps orbiting, all the planets orbiting. Have you ever noticed that the stars are always where the stars are supposed to be? That the stars don't, I mean, they're always where they've been for the last, you know, uh, 10,000 millennium. 
They're, they're exactly where they've been. What's holding the stars in place? You know, what kind of super glue is that? God didn't make any mistakes with the universe. His plans are eternal and they're perfect and they're substantial. I have never been able to keep a blender over two years. My irons break down. My blenders break down. I'm on my 10th food processor since I've been married. And I've been married 35 years. Almost 36. I you know, Vacuums. I think I've had 20 vacuums since I've been married. And none of them are perfect. But God's designs. But you, you go to the macro universe. But you go to the micro. Our cells with our DNA and our mitochondria that, that, get the D, that, that follow the plans of the DNA and say, oh, let's get this going. The protoplasm that holds everything together, that allows the, the vitamins in to our cell but keeps the pollutants out. You know, and, and then all the different cells of our body. You know, I've been sick. I'm, I'm well, but I was sick for four weeks. And you know what I was praying? God, please help my T-cells to get with it and make the right antibodies for my body and send out those white cells like an army and let them kill off all the virus. I love the white cells. They come in, they eat the virus, and then they die in the process. Go, sorry about that, I'm dead. And they leave your body and they're exited. And, and how the red blood cells, they go around and they pick up all the pollutants while dropping off the good presents. It was like, it would be like if your UPS man was also your trash man. You know? Like, here is an Amazon package and let me take that rubbish. They're just these, it's just amazing. And God is so faithful in the microcosm and in the macrocosm. His plans are good. And for that alone, because his plans are good, they're substantial, they work, they always turn out right, they're beautiful. I mean, he decides to give oxygen. And how does he give oxygen to our earth? In the form of trees and beautiful flowers and blades of grass. But they're functional as, as well as beautiful. Oh, it, it's a, a reasonable response to a God who is that magnificent of an engineer who has such incredibly great plans, who never gives up on us, who has given us all these great benefits is to worship. And how do we worship? We worship by giving them everything. All right, Lord, I give you everything. You know, we have been taught not to trust. As a little kid, we trust. If someone says, you know, you want candy? You're like, yes. I remember my dad used to come in the door and I would be like, Daddy? And he'd be like, where's my baby? And I'd be like, Daddy, 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 Daddy's home. And I'd go running to the front door and he'd pick me up in his arms. He'd take me over to this great big green chair and he would sing, oh, tell me, pretty maiden, are there any more at home like you? And I would sing back, there are a few kinds, sir. And you know, we had this little routine that we would do. And so every time I would hear the door, I would be like, Daddy? And my brothers learned to imitate my daddy's voice. And I would go, Daddy, and I'd hear, Where's my baby? And I would go, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy's home. Yeah! You know, because it was, you're one of them going, <laughs> And so my dad would come in the door, and I stopped calling. I stopped responding. I stopped going because I, I no longer trusted. 
And I think that's how we are. We start out with these trusting natures, but the world is so cruel to us. And, it, and it's always mocking us. And we're taught not to trust. Not to, you know, it, the deal, if it sounds too good, it is too good. Except for when it comes to Jesus Christ. The deal is better than you thought. It's worth giving our whole beings to because God will not let us fall. And as it says in Isaiah, God says, none of those who trust in me will ever be put to shame. So it's reasonable. Don't worry, this is my longest point. God's mercy is another reason that we give our lives completely to him. Mercy is a covenant word. It means unfailing love. God keeps his covenant and he says, because you're in this covenant with me, I will not fail you. And so Paul says, I, I not only appeal to you by all that God's done, but because of this covenant that you're in with God, because of his unfailing love, because he does not give you what you deserve, but what is undeserved and what is good because his mercies are new every morning, because they are unfailing, because if you could touch the sky, then you could, then you could come to the end of his mercies because they fill the whole universe. And he says, and I appeal to you by those grand and great and gracious mercies of God to worship him with all of your mind, soul, and strength with your whole body. Put it on the altar. Say, God, I'm here for your services, for your purposes. That's your reasonable worship. It's what is appropriate when you realize all God is, all God has done, and how great his plans are. The right response is to entrust yourself entirely to him. And and the next part of that, once we entrust ourselves, then it's about our mind transformed. Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now there's a new way of thinking. Our lives are on the altar. And so now we've got a new way of thinking, new thinking patterns. Psychologists say that sick, mentally sick people have cognitive distortions. In other words, it's the way they think. They have put themselves into these thinking patterns that make them unhealthy. So when we talk about a transformed mind, we're not only talking about the thoughts that we fill our mind with, but we're talking about how we process everything that happens to us. Jesus said, it's not that which goes in or happens to the body that defiles it. It's how it's processed inside. And it's all about how we process these these things that happen to us. And if we're on the altar, we process it like all things work together for the good. God is going to use this. He's brought this into my life. This is providential. And we give this to the Lord. As Elizabeth Elliot used to say, Lord, have this mess and do what only you can do with it. And that's what we do with every trial. We present it to God and say, here, this, like my body, is yours to do with as you want. 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us that we're to bring every thought into the captivity of Jesus Christ. In Exodus chapter 17, Joshua is in the valley fighting the Amalekites. Moses is on top of this hill overlooking the battle. And as long as he holds up the rod of the Lord, 
Joshua prevails in the valley. Everything is going better. But the minute the rod begins to come down because Moses' hands are heavy, then they begin to lose the battle. What is that rod? That rod is the authority of God, the call of God, and the promises of God. That rod is the rod that went into Pharaoh's court and put the magicians and the gods of Egypt to shame. That rod is is the rod that only Moses could hold because it was a snake in the hands of anyone else. It's the call of God. That rod is the promises of God. When God says, Moses, I'll be with you, hold that rod over the waters and they will part. And we hold up the promises and the authority of God in our mind. And as we hold up the authority and the promises of God in the valley, in our circumstances, we begin to prevail against the flesh, which the Amalekites are symbolic of. I I love the scripture in Proverbs where it says, commit your way to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Again, when you give God everything, when you say, Lord, all my works are yours, then your thoughts become transformed thoughts. As Jesus said, again, he said, the lamp of the body is the eye. In other words, it's how you see things. It's how you process things. If your eye is evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. But if your eye is light, and as it says in the Psalms, in your light we see light, then your whole body will be filled with light. A transformed mind is a mind with divine intervention and a radical change. Our thinking process is changed because God is now factored into every single thought. We don't look at a situation and go, oh no, what am I going to do? We look at a situation and God, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with this? God becomes our priority. God's will is our priority. And God's promises are our expectation for every situation. The treasury of our thoughts changes. No longer are we looking at the bad, the ugly, the critical, the fault finding. Now we're putting into the treasury of our thoughts the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. You know, anybody can criticize Anybody can find fault. Anybody can do the needs improvement. But when we are doing, our criteria is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Everything changes. Our outlook changes because we want the things that please God. And we're looking for new ways to serve and please God. And our criteria changes what we put into our mind. Have you ever noticed that your computer can only hold so much information? My computer is arbitrary. It just gets rid of things that I really want and keeps things that I really don't care about. Like I really don't care about what Amazon was offering last month, but that comes up on my computer. And then I don't know why. I, I tried to download like, um, like a, an app where I could watch um, um, his channel. And when I starlight or something like that. So like you go to the thing, it's like, I've got all these bites filled with starlight and I never did get it on my computer, but it's filled up all this space. So my son's like, oh, mother. And so, you know, Braden, he's deleting all the starlights. Like, what were you thinking? I'm like, I don't know. I was just pressing the button and it just didn't seem to come through. So I just kept pressing it. It's like, don't, don't, don't ever press that button again. But you know, I, I know that in my mind, I can remember things that I don't want to remember. 
and I've shared this before, but I, I, I can remember, you know, the Green Acres theme song, you know? No, Bel Air is where I'd rather be. Uh, you know, and you're like, no. And you're like, why can't I remember, you know, where that scripture is or that person's name? But no, I, you know, I can remember, you know, I get allergic smelling hay. It's like, no. I didn't even like Green Acres because Eddie Albert was too temperamental. And I'm just like, no, I want to, I want to have pleasant, you know, the, the good. So what are, what are we put? So I want to store into my mind the best thoughts, the good thoughts. I, I read in Luke chapter two that Mary, the treasury of her heart, she treasured these things. The word pondered can also be translated treasured. She treasured the story of angels. She treasured the story of wise men. She treasured, you know, the visitation of Gabriel, the words of Simeon about her son. And I said, Lord, I want the treasury of my heart to be filled with the things that you've done. I want the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God all in my heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And oh, I want the overflow, the expression of my heart to talk about all the great things God has done and is doing. Next comes humility. Romans 12, 3. For I say through the grace given to me for everyone who is among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one of a measure of faith. Humility is the right perspective on ourselves. You know your body is on the altar. You know you've got a transformed mind. When humility is a part of your demeanor, because it's a right perspective on God. It's this incredible, profound appreciation for all that he has given you and all that you have. It's this knowing undeservedness. Like, I know I don't deserve any of this. This is all from the goodness of God. Humility is the perspective on God's greatness and God's righteousness. It's humility. You've got it when you're in the presence of God. You know you're in God's presence because you're humble, because you see your smallness out in his infinite greatness. And at the same time, you feel how loved you are. And his great love humbles you. Like, you love me. You love me. And at the same time, you know it's true and it's a reality. And yet, it's just so incredibly wonderful. You love me. And you know you're in his presence because you're so grateful for that love. You're so grateful for the cross and that Jesus has come and what he's done for you. Humility is the right perspective on God's omniscience. God knows everything. He's got this under control. Because, you know, when I'm humble, I submit to God because I know his plans are better than my plans. I know he's bigger than I am. But when I'm not humble, I'm kind of like, have you looked at my plans? Have you checked them out? Because I like what I'm doing with the left bedroom just a little bit better than uh, what your plans are. You see, but when I'm humble, I'm like, your plans are so good. This is so beautiful. This is so much more than I expected you to, to do in my life. 
It's that humbleness. Next comes community. Romans 12, 4 through 5. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. See, worship is both individual, me putting everything on the altar, and communal. Because as individuals, we present our bodies, but we present them to God to use in the context of his purposes in the body of Christ. Community allows us to get a fuller and richer picture of God. You know, I see God. I I love reading different commentaries. I love listening to lots of pastors. I love K-Wave. I love K-Wave. Just put the sticker right here. You know, I just... I love it because you get to hear all these different perspectives and you see the same scripture from these different vantage points and it's all the more beautiful. I remember years ago, my mom gave me my Aunt Isi's wedding ring. My Aunt Isi wasn't even married, so that was kind of, it had been her father's wedding ring and when he died, it was given to her and she used to wear it on her thumb. When she died, my mother actually gave it to um, someone else and they gave it back And so my mom's like, you want it? It was really dirty and it was kind of big and it it didn't look like it was worth that much. So my mom gave it to me. So I took it in and I got it sized and I got it cleaned. And I remember when I was at the jewelry, they said, we want you to look under the microscope and we're going to show you four different views of this diamond so that you'll be able to recognize it. And so I looked at it from four different angles and it was beautiful. And then they took it and they got it and it was sized, and it was cleaned, and it was evaluated, and I went back in, and they said, we were hoping that you wouldn't come back, because this diamond is a, is a um, hand-cut diamond, and it's flawless, and it's so beautiful, and you know, and then I saw it cleaned, and it, all of a sudden, it was beautiful. It was just absolutely gorgeous, and It was all these different ways of looking at this diamond and recognizing it. And every facet that you took, it it made it just explode in beauty. And you see, you through your circumstances, you're going to see God as a merciful Savior. But somebody else in in different set of circumstances is going to say, oh, I see him as a loving father. Well, is he a Savior? Is he a loving father? He's both. Somebody else is going to see him as a gift giver, the generous God of heaven. Oh, somebody else is going to see him as an engineer. Somebody else is going to see him as an artist. And we come together and we bring this fullness of seeing God as he is because he's all of that more. But we need these different perspectives. You know, when you sit in your group and you're answering the questions, somebody has these answers and you're like, where in the world did they get that answer? And then you're like, wow, that's that's kind of cool. It works. Why? Because God is so great and so big. And it's in community together that we sense and we get a fuller picture of who our God is. Community allows us to share the love of Jesus. I get so excited to meet Christians from different fellowships all over the world and realize we're a great big family. It's a great big family. And it's so fun. I remember years ago, um, there were these people and they were on their way. They were from Calvary. I think it was in Idaho or Iowa. 
And they didn't realize when they got to Heathrow, Heathrow Airport in England that they had to recheck in. And so they hadn't checked in. So when they got to their plane, they're like, you can't come. You can't board. They didn't have any place to go. And they're in England. They're all out of money. So they had enough money if they pulled it together to get a bus to Calvary Chapel, Westminster, London on a Sunday night. So we have these 10 people show up and said, we're from Idaho. We're from Calvary. We're stuck here. We don't know how to get home. And so Brian said, okay, we bought them tickets to get to our house. We got all our blankets, all the couches, all the places on the floor. And and it was so cute. We sent our son, Char, who was like 14 years old to lead them home on the uh, underground, got them to our house. All I had in my refrigerator was a block of cheese, but I know how to make tortillas. So I made homemade quesadillas for everybody. I'm like, are you hungry? And they're like, yes. I'm like, oh, so, you know, I'm like little old mother Hubbard, winter cupboard. And, um, made them quesadillas. The next morning I made them pancakes because I still had flour. And Brian took them to the airport and was able to work it all out with the airlines and they flew out. And it was like the neatest thing because they were the body and they knew that all they had to do was find the nearest Calvary and that would be a refuge for them. That they would be helped, that they would be fed, that we'd find them a place to sleep. It was, it was so, I don't know how to explain it, but we're family. And we've got this incredible community. And this is the place that we can show the love of Christ. That we can practice everything that we are learning in Christ. That we can show the love of Christ. You know, there are some that want to make the narrow road more narrow than it is. They want to qualify and disqualify people. Well, I remember being on a plane. This woman had this bag full of wine. And she told me she was a Christian. She was a pastor's wife from Ireland. I'm like, whoa, you do it a little different than we do. (laughs) And I I kept trying to fellowship with her. You know, like, so, you know, I I would say, you know, like, when did you meet Jesus? And she'd look at me and she said, are you reformed or not? And I said, I'm, I'm neither reformed or unreformed. I, I think that's a little obvious. You know, and she's like, no, are you reformed? Are you a Calvinist? Are you an Armenist? And I said, I, I'm neither. I'm just a Bibleist. <laughs> and I'm looking at her like, really? You've got all that liquor and you're going to ask me whether I'm reformed or not? You know, like she's ready to disqualify me. And I'm like, could we talk about the liquor? <laughs> and you know when I told her I was neither, she didn't want to talk to me. She wanted to break fellowship because I was not as good as she was because she'd only talked to reformed people. And I'm like, well, I only talk to people who don't drink. No, I didn't. But you know, it was like, seriously, I'm willing to overlook that to have fellowship. Why don't you take a sip of that and see if we can get to fellowship? In fact, have the whole bottle and let's see if we can fellowship. Just kidding. Because if this is going out on the radio, I could be in such trouble. But you know, she was ready to disqualify me. And you're thinking, I love Jesus and he loves me. And there are those people that want to, you know, well, what do you feel about baptism? Are you a sprinkler? Are you a dunker? You know? And have you been baptized? That baby thing doesn't count. You know? And and they're, they're ready to disqualify you. Yeah. Do you celebrate the Sabbath or do you worship on a Sunday? You know, I worship him every day of the week. How's that? You know, it's like, 
There are those disqualifiers. I'm sorry, but we are qualified in Christ. Absolutely qualified. And it's in this community, our shared stories, our shared testimonies, that we get a greater picture of how magnificent our God is. How he saves to the uttermost all that come to him through Christ Jesus. He saves those who were born again when they were born. Me. He saves those that were born again in their 30s after a drug habit. He saves those in their teens who, who happen to see a Billy Graham movie and get saved. He saves those who go forward at the harvest crusade. And those who watch it on television, he saves in all sorts of different ways. And he saves to the uttermost all who come to him. That's the God we serve. This is what he's done for us. So we, we worship in community together and it gets fuller. That's why the author of Hebrews said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But so much the more as we see the day approaching. Paul talks about those who separate themselves from the body. John, the, the apostle, also talks about they went out from us because they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have stayed with us. They would have stayed in the community. Because in the community of Christ is this fullness of worship. Uh, one more story, and then I'll move to my last point. Brian and I, we were invited to a pack a stanny Christian church. It is now a Calvary Chapel, Urdu Calvary Chapel in England. Urdu. Is that like amazing? And it's packed. It's packed with Pakistanis that are all born again. And some of their relatives in Pakistan have already been murdered for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're so strong. But, you know, they were like so cute. Would Mrs. Pastor Brian Broderson please come forward? We want to thank her for being married to Mr. Pastor Brian Broderson. And so they, they, they put these flowers on me, you know. Thank you, Mrs. Pastor Brian Broderson, for being married to Mr. Pastor Brian. We so appreciate it, you know. And so then I go sit down. Will Mrs. Pastor Brian Broderson please come forward? They had me come forward about, you know, four times. And each time, will Mrs. Pastor Brian Broderson? They were so sweet. And then they, they started singing their songs. And we got to watch it. And it was like, you know, that big giant looks so big. And David looks so small with his little stone. But in the name of his God, even the giants come down. But it was played with one of those pump organs. like, And the choir got up. And the girls are wearing their saris, you know. Um, who's sorry now? No, with the, you know, with the veils and, and they're singing like, you know, it is like, wow. Okay. What an experience. But we sat down to curry with them and we bonded over curry and Jesus. It was like the most amazing thing to hear their testimonies of how they came to Jesus, of how thankful they were to Jesus. And you know what? I just sat there going, my God is a big, big wonderful God. He saves to the uttermost. He goes after the lost, whatever country, whatever place, and he saves them. And we're meeting these young men that are going, Mr. Pastor Brian Broderson, may I ask you a question? I feel called to the ministry like God wants to raise me up as a pastor. And we're like, ah! it was like, 
awesome. And then there was this little girl and she was doing all the announcements. She was like 16 years old. And I talked to her mother and her mother says, oh, she loves Jesus. From the time I got saved, I dedicated her to Jesus and said, for your purposes, Lord. And he said, she said, now she wants to serve Jesus with all her heart. And she was like stirring up the people. She was also the one that was going, well, Mrs. Pastor Brian Broderson, come forward. So I liked her. But, you know, in the community, it becomes so big, so great, and God is magnified. I was reading John chapter 17 in my devotions today, and Jesus prays that we would be one, that we would be united, that we would have this oneness as the body of Christ. Finally, worship is edifying. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You see, worship edifies ourselves and edifies others and edifies the Lord. It is edifying. That's a component of worship. It is edifying. Have you ever noticed when you're serving the body of Christ, you are so built up? When you are serving God, you are personally built up. It's a benefit. Going back to John chapter 12 and Mary's worship when she broke the alabaster box, we read that the fragrance filled the house. Everybody was affected by that wonderful aroma. You see, Mary practiced aromatherapy before it was even cool. (laughs) Worship is using the gifts that God has given us according to the power he has given us. And the outcome is edification for the whole body. In Ephesians 4, 17 through 18, we read that, that when we're using our gifts, we're equipping the body for the work of the ministry. And we are being conformed into the image of Jesus as we do it. And this is protecting the whole body together from false doctrine, deception, and falling away. As as we use our gifts. Because when we're on the altar, God raises us up and he gives us these gifts to use. I think of that parable of the talents that Jesus talks about the master giving the five talents, the two talents, and the one talent. And on the, the man who got the one talent, he buried it and he didn't use it. But the others invested it. And I love that the person with the five talents didn't go, well, you know, I'll invest three and bury two. Because faith is always a risk. He took all five talents that the master had given him and he invested all five. The man who was given two talents, he took those two talents. Depends. If you read in Matthew, it's 10 and five and one. You read it in Luke, it's five and two, just so you don't think I'm not, I'm off doctrinally. But he took that two talents and he invested the whole thing. He didn't hold back like one for God and one for me. He gave it all. He put it all in. Like our body is to be all in for Jesus Christ. We are not to hide the gifts that God has given us. We're not to bury them. We're to invest them. How do we invest them? We invest them in each other. We invest them in the body of Christ. We begin to use, if it's exhortation, we begin to encourage others. If it's ministry, we use these administration skills or we volunteer for coffee. I told you this story before of my friend Linda. And she came to me, she said, I don't have any gifts. I said, you must have some gifts. I don't have any gifts. I said, come on, just name one thing. She goes, I can make enchiladas. I said, well, then make enchiladas. 
Make as many enchiladas. And I said, I'll call you whenever we need enchiladas. So every time a band would come in or a pastor would come in, we'd call her, you know, to speak at Calvary Vista, we'd call her up and say, Linda, enchilada time. And she'd make this incredible enchilada with rice and beans. And one day I see her and she's part of the worship team. And her voice is absolutely gorgeous. And I said, I didn't know you could sing. She said, well, you know, years ago I could sing, but I kind of thought that God would take it away from me because I'd lived such a sinful life. And then I realized that he had still given me this gift. And she said, it was when I started making enchiladas, I realized I've got other gifts. I can sing. And I started singing while I was doing the enchiladas. And then I joined the worship team. So that's amazing. Then the next thing I know, she's teaching Sunday school. And I said, you're teaching Sunday school. She goes, well, when I was making enchiladas, I started teaching my daughter how to make enchiladas. I realized, I think I might have the gift of teaching. And, you know, and I love the things I'm learning in the Word. So I decided to volunteer for Sunday school. Her class was like the most popular Sunday school class. Then she starts teaching in the prisons, going with the, the group to singing and teaching at the prisons. And, and now she's the chaplain of the Vista Jail. You might say now she has the whole enchilada. She didn't realize how gifted she was until she started with that first thing, that first talent, and began to practice what God had given her. You know, you'll never know what you have until you begin to use what you have. And you'll never develop the gifts until you use them. You see, the more you use them, the more you develop them, and the more God anoints them. In 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11, Peter says the end is at hand, so it's time to use our gifts more than ever. Now, if he's saying the end of is at hand, and that was 2,000 years ago, we're closer. So it's time to use our gifts more than we've ever used them before. And he says that the gifts are to be operated supernaturally. The gifts are empowered supernaturally by the Spirit of God. He says, if you're going to preach, if you're going to teach, I want you to do it like an oracle of God. Let the Holy Spirit speak through you. If you're going to minister, do it by the power that God has given you. If you're going to love, do it fervently by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our gifts are not operational if we're unplugged from the source of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So all these gifts that we've been given, we have to stay plugged in to the source of the power. And they have to be done they have to be done by the power of the Lord. I don't know about you, but my blender does not work if it's not plugged in. I have to plug it in. And you have you ever gone, my blender is broken. I've turned it on and off. And I'll be like, Brian, I think the blender is broken. He goes, Cheryl, plug it in. <laughs> Thank you. What a difference it makes to plug it in. It's crazy. But then the power begins to flow through it and makes it everything it was meant to be. A blender without power is a piece of junk. But once you plug it in, oh, it's masterful. It can make shakes. It can make salad dressings. It can make enchilada sauce. But I suggest you use two different blenders if, because otherwise your shakes taste like garlic. Not that I know that from experience, but I do. First Peter 4.10, Peter says this, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracle of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom the whole 
um, glory and dominion belong forever and ever. Amen. Worshiping God is the ultimate objective and glory and joy of every believer. It is the full surrender of our lives to God, all we are, all we have. It is the transforming of our mind to want to please him in every thought and action and deed. It is that humble realization of how great he is and how loved we are. It is the communal. It is discovering who he is in the community of believers. And it is the mutual edifying of all of us, corporately, individually, which results in the absolute glorification and edification where God is built up, where we see him as these he is. From these basic components of worship, every other expression of praise will follow. And we will be learning about other expressions of praise as we move on in Romans 12. In fact, I like to call the rest of Romans 12, Romans chapter 13, the altered life. Altered being A-L-T-A-R-R-E-D, which of course is not a word, but it's the life on the altar and how everything changes. Our service does not become a duty, but a delight. Once we are on that altar, once our mind is being transformed, that humility worked into us, that sense of community and belongingness and that mutual edification as we use the gifts that God has given, because that's our reasonable worship. That's our absolute way of worshiping the Lord. And from these basic components, all praise, all thanksgiving, all obedience, all service follows. We were created to worship God, and it begins with giving God absolutely everything. I want to end with this story. Years ago, there was this man named F.B. Meyer, and he always felt humbled in the presence of, of being a minister because he had a church in London just less than a mile from Spurgeon. And Spurgeon was so eloquent, so wise, had been in the ministry since he was 15, no education, um, formal education as far as college, just brilliant, just so steeped in the scriptures. F.B. Meyer had gone to college and everything had always been harder for him. And then one day he had these um, young men who had gotten saved through the ministry of D.L. Moody, who, I know, F.B., D.L., see why we've got the Bible like N-A-S-B? It started with these men abbreviating their name. So um, F.B. Meyer, he, he has these young men, C.T. Studd, S.P. Smith, come, and I think in the 1800s, you just went by your initials, you know, C.L. Broderson. So they had these 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 young men who had gotten saved through a D.L. Moody crusade come in. And they said that C.T. Studd could barely speak. He was like, oh, duh, I love Jesus. But he said it with an English accent, so you always think it's more intelligent. But he, he was just not eloquent at all. And Smith the same way. And yet after they shared their testimony and how God had reached them, All these people, even people that F.B. Meyer had been in his church for years, gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And every place that Smith went and C.T. Studd, huge revival broke out. And and hundreds of people got saved. 
And F.B. Meyer's looking at this like they don't have my education. They don't have my intelligence. How is it that God is using them in this spectacular way? So he said to them, I need to talk to you. And they, they said to him, come by in the morning and talk to us. So he went and he met them in the morning. It's five o'clock in the morning when he went to their house. And by candlelight, they're studying their Bibles. And he began to say to them, what do you have that I don't have? I'm in the ministry. I've been serving God. But you have something that I don't have. And Smith said to Meyer, he said, have you given the Lord everything? And he said, well, in a general way, yes, I've you know, given God my day. I've given him everything. Maybe not the particulars. And Smith looked at F.B. Meyer and he said, it's the particulars that count. F.B. Meyer went home and got on his knees and gave God, by his own admission, the particulars of his life, one after another. Every iota that he could think of and that the Holy Spirit brought to mind. And after that, after putting his life on the altar... He got up and he became a prolific writer, a prolific preacher, one who did it not by the power of his education, not by the power of his own intellect, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it began by giving God the particulars. God wants the particulars. Your life will never be all that it was created to be until it's completely on the altar and you allow God to do that lobotomy that he needs to do humbly in the community and you use what he has given you, not for your own edification, but for the edification of the whole body. Will you stand up and let's pray. Lord, you are so good. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would give us open eyes to see all that you have already done for us and all that is already ours through Jesus Christ. So that, Lord, giving you everything, laying our lives on the altar would not seem like a duty, would not seem like something unreasonable, but would seem like something so glorious because we can't wait to see what you do with these lives. We can't wait to watch your workmanship and your surgery and your glory infused into our lives. Lord, may we delight to lay everything at your feet, to break our alabaster boxes and pour out the fragrance completely upon you. Lord, for your glory, because of your greatness, because of your goodness. Oh, Lord, let this be our ultimate act of worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.